Live. Out of all God's creation, there is only one species of life that is made in the image and likeness of God, and that's humanity. Inherent in created man is man being given authority over the entirety of God's created earth. Man and woman are to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This means they are, quote, equal in their responsibility. To do this job, God endowed man with the ability to think, to understand, to make decisions, and to communicate with each other and with him. Man was created free, with free will. That's why God told Adam that his authority to eat whatever he desired did not apply to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree or plant was fair game. This presented the man with freedom of choice to obey or disobey, to live or to die. The choice was entirely his to make. Well, he chose to disobey God and to eat the fruit of the one tree he was told not to eat of. And isn't that like us? When we're given freedom of choice, and when someone tries to tell us what to do or tell us something, we don't want to hear it because we know everything, because we are wrong, because we don't need anybody to tell us anything, so we push back. And yet, the moment that you're given trust, you mess up. Every one of us do. That is, until those who came to know Jesus and began to grow uh, in the knowledge and understanding of who he is and who God is and why God created us. Those of us who are growing every day in Christ are walking away more and more from the things that we used to depend on, the things we used to call off. We're turning our backs to them and we're walking away. And we're walking closer and closer to Jesus because as we realize our past has brought us so much grief and we may have glimpses of joy and excitement, but it was without Jesus Christ, which means it didn't really count. Because we might see it as right, but God says that even our righteousness apart from him is just filthy right. So there's more to life than what we're struggling with. Man chose to die. The choice was entirely his. Well, when you choose to disobey God and eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is the disobedience that resulted in the downfall and depravity of the human race. Just think, if Adam had obeyed God and not eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, humanity wouldn't be discussing human rights, equality, and social justice. There would be no need for discrimination based on race or gender. Minorities of women would not have to push for equal pay. Everyone doing the same job will receive the same wages. There would be no need to protest gang killings, terrorist killings, civil genocide, police killings, and slogans such as Black Lives Matter because there would be no guns and no murders. There wouldn't be arguments over what is deemed morally acceptable or morally reprehensible. People would not be confused about their anatomy, whether they are male or female. 
There would be claims that God made a mistake when he created them or that they are trapped in the wrong body. There wouldn't be commercials where two men claim to be the father of a single boy as if they as if to say that is the, the that is to say it is physiologically possible or morally acceptable. It isn't. That child came into the world as did as did the two men by way of a man and a woman coming together, preferably husband and wife. If Adam had sinned, there would have been no need for Jesus to come or the Holy Bible to be written. There would be no need for apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. There would be no need for the church. There would be no terrorists threatening to kill others if they didn't accept their erroneous religion. God would be everyone's God, and everyone would know God at the deepest level of their being. As Adam used to walk in the garden with God in the cool of the day, so would every human being would do right now if Adam had not sinned. But that's it. We don't live in a sin-free world, do we? We live in a sin-filled world, replete with all kinds of vile, despicable going on. The good news is that from the time of Adam, sin, God set in motion a simple plan that will one day soon stamp out all sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying because God will wipe away all tears. But the problem is that that is not enough that there is not enough people that are listening to the good news. This morning I want to begin a series entitled Building on Truth, the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, let's lift them as we prepare to make our declaration. But before you do that, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin our teaching because our theme for this year is building on the truth. And the truth is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, when you have it, um, just lift your Bible as we prepare to make our declaration. Repeat after me, if you will. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form or fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, there is life in the word of God. Praise God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassion, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness. 
Write the word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against you. That we may love him the way he's supposed to be loved. That is by our service to him in every area of our life. Hear the word, O Holy Spirit. Let us hear the word, Holy Spirit. Let us hear your voice speaking it. Let us grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Father, of the Son, of his Holy Spirit. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I know I might have said 10, but Hebrews chapter 1. I began looking at this scripture. The Lord just placed something on my heart, and I just wanted to. And I remember years ago when I began studying the book of Hebrews, and then I got away from it. And I was drawn back to it this week, and I began looking at it. I actually was going to minister from chapter 10, but then I began going back, and I started started thinking about the context. I began to think about the historicity of the book of Hebrews, and I began to think about um, what God said. And in my opening statement, in my introduction, I talked about Adam. And I talked about if he had sinned, if he had made the right decision, if he had obeyed God, then none of the things that we're dealing with now, even our presence here today, would be the way it is. But it is what it is because Adam did what he did. He crucified, Adam committed genocide. We complain about the men over in the, we talk about ISIL, and we talk about Al Qaeda, and we talk about the Muslims, and all the different men and, and uh, nations that came up and began to crucify, to began to murder people senselessly, began to geno- try to commit genocide and decide who should live and who should not live, who had the right to be in this earth and who did not have the right to be in this earth. And yet neither one of them had the capacity to give the intellectual capital to create any life. Yes, they tried to decide who should live and who shouldn't live, so they tried to wipe out a race of people. And so... They did, they did this on faulty thinking. They think they had the, they thought they had the answer. Many think they have the answer today. They think that they know everything that they need to know. They think that they are right and everyone else is wrong. Well, there's a reason God wants this, this theme of building on the truth, building on truth, the Word of God, because Anything that is done outside of the Word of God or, the, or, or anyone who uses the Word of God in a deceitful way to get their way, God will deal with because, and that's the reason why we are building on the truth, the Word of God, because the Word of God is the only truth there is in the earth. There is human truth, but that human truth is only goes only so far, but the divine truth of God is pure and perfect, and it will not pass away. Jesus in heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or one tittle of this word of God will pass away. It is going to be the same. It was the same yesterday. It's the same today. It's going to be the same tomorrow. So we have your Bible. We're going to read the entire first chapter here, God, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, have in the last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, or the word of his power, having become so much better than the angels, and as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again bringeth, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And all the angels, he says, to all the angels, he says, Who makes his angel spirit and his ministers flames of fire? But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will hold them up, and they will be changed. For you are the same. Your yield will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit the salvation? God, I love this. And I want to talk this morning about building on truth, the word of God. Jesus Christ, you have to understand that Jesus Christ is superior to all who came before or will ever come after him. Why is superior? Why is superior? Why is Jesus superior to all who came before him or will come after him? Well, in the first chapter, we discover the New Testament is better than and takes place takes the place of the First Testament, which is the Old Testament, because its founder is the Messiah, and he is better than, number one, the prophet, and number two, the essence of his deity is far superior than anyone in anything. Now, let's take a look at the prophets, for example, uh, verse, verse 1 and 2. God, with various times and in various ways, spoke in time past the fathers by the prophets. As in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Listen, God the Son is heir of all things. He is the creator of the universe. At sundry times and in diverse manners, God spake. This means the main idea in the writer's mind is not so much that God spoke, but that he did it at, different, at sundry times and in diverse manners. The writer is not com- is not comparing com- with not writer, he's not combating the or denial of the revelation, but is prepared but is preparing the reader. Gosh, I'm losing it. But he is preparing the reader for the truth that God has now, after the preliminary revelation, given a final word in the revelation of his son. So the revelation of the Old Testament truth were given at sundry times. And that word sundry times we talk about polumero. And that word is pronounced polumero. 
and it is a compound word with polus meaning many and meros meaning parts. The complete meaning being by many portions. See, God also spoke his word in diverse manner. And that word diverse is polotropos. And this too is a compound word, polus, meaning again, minute, and tropos, meaning manner or fashion, and thus different manners of many ways. From this we see that God didn't speak once for all, but in separate revelations, each of which reveals only a part of his will. Each writer of the Old Testament was given elements of God's revealed word or truth. Therefore, God spoke in different ways. His different ways speak to the various revelations. For example, God spoke to Israel in one way through Moses, in another way through Isaiah and in Jeremiah and so forth. Old Testament revelation was progressive. Man could not then and cannot now receive everything God revealed at once because all could not be understood at once. How many of you can understand everything? If everybody's seeing everything to you at one time, can you understand everything that everybody's saying? How many of you can do that? I know you may want to fancy yourself to be able to do that, but truth of the matter is you cannot. Not everybody understands the Pythagorean theory. Not everybody understands uh, uh, geometry and, and, and uh, uh, trigonometry. Not everybody understands quantum physics. Not everyone understands uh, uh, how to soup set someone open and, 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 and uh, perform an operation and heal somebody. Not everyone knows how to do all that stuff. God has it all. God has the knowledge. How many, if you stop to think about it, the intricacies and all of the pieces that put the, that is required to put an airplane together, how many of you, by your own knowledge, can understand and comprehend all of that and then be able to make one yourself? You just don't have the knowledge. God reveals certain things to certain people because that's what he, because he Equip them to be able to handle that, but we cannot. God cannot do a data dump on us of everything that He knows because we would not be able to understand it. We can all understand it at once. Therefore, the revelation was given in many parts. Note also that it was given in different modes. It was given in the form of the law, it was given in the form of prophecy, it was given in the form of history, it was given in the form of sign and type and parable. The word in time past means that although the Old Testament not to be pushed to the side, yet it was time for a new one to be given. It was time for a new one to be given, one that would, that would be God's final word, one that would complete and round out the first one. Because the Old Testament is not utterly destroyed. Jesus said it in John in, 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 uh, Luke chapter 5, he says, don't think that I came to destroy the world, the word. No, 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 the law. I did not come to destroy the law, the law, but I came to fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Therefore, Jesus fulfilled the law, and he was able to do it all. Everything that God required, from letter to letter, from word to word, he fulfilled it all. Because he did that, because he did that, he is now the only way 
to get to the Father. Note the author's mention of the word God. When what this does first insert, notice on you and me and everyone else that this God of the Old Testament is the same God the Hebrews profess to worship. That's right now. Secondly, this God about whom the Hebrew writer is referring is speaking to the particular person of the Godhead, God the Father. Not, not God Buddha, not God Muhammad, not God uh, Harry Krishna, not God the image, not God the Mercedes Benz, not God the, the, the uh, Alfa Romeo, not God the fanciest car in the world. God is the God of all creation. God the creator. God the only one, the true father, the giver of life. God alone is the one who created. God alone is the one that sustains life in a person. God, God alone is the one that gives you the physical ability to get up and get out of your bed, to get on your way. He's the one that gave you the intellectual ability, the capacity, the faith to move and do the things that he wants you to do. And the things that you do, if you did not have God, if God had not created you, you would not be able to do what you do. See, there are men in the world that want to hold you down and tell you what you can't do and where you can't go and that you have to do this and you have to do that. I'm not here to tell you you have to worship God. I'm not here to tell you you have to serve God. That's your choice. And that's what I love about God because God will not force himself on you, unlike men that will force themselves on you, unlike men who will force you to do what they want you to do. And if you don't do it, they threaten to kill you. And they threaten to harm you in some way. God is not like that. God is okay. If you don't want to have anything to do with me, that's fine. I'll be here if you need me, though. When you change your mind, if you change your mind, I know you change your mind. I know everything about you. So when you decide you want to come with me, I'm going to be right here. I'm not going anywhere. He is God the Father. And God didn't speak to his people by just anyone. And see, there are a lot of people out there that are going to come and tell you that God said this and God said that. But listen, God does not speak through just anyone. He spoke to the prophets, those whom he chose, those whom he called. You see, prophets are those who, when time the presence of God, they see the face of God, not necessarily physically, but they see the face of God. They're in the presence of God, and they receive what God speaks to them, and they go and they say what God told them to say by the Spirit of God. They do not miss a word that God tells them to say. Aside from Balaam's donkey, God spoke exclusively through the prophets, so far as the written revelation is concerned. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, said, I am a voice of one who is crying out in the wilderness. Like all the other prophets, John was just one among many voices which God used in the Old Testament. You can say, well, well, wait a minute now. John the Baptist was in the New Testament. No. No. We had already, the New Covenant didn't come in until Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now he has all power in his hands. Jesus Christ, the old Jesus walked in the Old Testament. That's why he had to come and fulfill the whole law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And now, 
Like all other prophets, John was just one among many voices which God used in the Old Testament. Now the expression, in these last days, let's take a look at that. This expression transitioned us from the days of the prophets to now the Son of God. Jesus was not the same Jesus was not in the same league with the prophets as he was and is far more superior than them all. God's revelation to Jesus consisted not just in what was said, as in the case of the prophets, but in what was what, what the one was, not merely in what he the son said. In short, it was not primarily nor finally a revelation given through words but through a personality. It was a revelation made by the one in whom all that he is and all that he does and all that he says reveals the Father. If you know anything about Jesus, if you've done any reading about Jesus, you know every time he opened his mouth, he was talking about the Father. He never once lifted himself up. He never once bragged about himself. He never once said, I'm the only one. I am God, and all of this, although he did say, I am the Father, I want to give that he is God, but you never heard him promote himself. He always promoted God. It was always about God. Men, when they get in positions of, of authority, they think it's all about them, and they get prideful. We were watching a movie last night about James Brown. He said, I'm James Brown. I don't need anybody. I made it by myself. And that became, that was the moment of his downfall. That is the moment of every human being's downfall. Every person is in a position of authority. Whether you're the husband of a, of a family, uh, you're head of the house of the family, and the husband and wife, whether you are the CEO of a major organization, the moment you begin to think that it's all about you, that you made it that far by your own effort, and that you don't need anybody else, then that's where, you, that's where your downfall comes. Because you don't get down in the weeds and do the work. You don't get down in the weeds and do the work. You have others to do the work, men that are skilled, men and women skilled in those areas necessary to move the company forward. And I'm not trying to talk about business, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ promoted God. He is the Logos, the total concept of deity, deity told out, the word of God, not in the sense of a spoken or written word, but in the sense of a person who, is, who in himself expresses that God is Father. He expresses to everyone that God is Father. He said on one occasion, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And so John could write, in the beginning was the Logos, that is the word, and the word of the Logos, was, with, was in fellowship with God, the Father, and the Logos, the Word, was to add to, the, was, was add to his nature, deity, meaning Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. This is the person in whom God gave his final revelation to the human race. It is through Jesus Christ. That's true, the final revelation of who God is. The reason the Hebrew writer wrote this epistle is to prove just one proposition to be true, and that is the New Testament is superior to and takes the place of the first of the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament 
had its value and its purpose and its, and its time, but it was not perfect at all. His first major argument, that is the Hebrew writer, show that the founder of the New Testament is superior to the founders of the Old Testament, which makes the New Testament superior to the Old. Jesus Christ is superior to the prophets of the Old Testament in every conceivable way. The prophets spoke as instruments of God, whereas the Son, God the Son, the very God, very God, is shown as the founder of the New Testament. Not only is Jesus superior in his being, but the mode of revelation for revealing God's word to the human race was superior in his name. God, I love it. When the prophets spoke, it was merely as mouthpiece. But when Jesus spoke, ah, but when Jesus spoke, it was God himself who spoke. Thus, by two counts already, has the Hebrew writer shown that one who gave the truth of the New Testament to man is superior to those who gave the truth of the, of the Old Testament. Now, what else the Hebrew writer says about the Son of God? He says that God appointed him heir of all things. No other man, no other person had that heir of all things. That's Adam, and Adam gave it away. The dominion promised to Adam, he lost through his fall on his defense. This dominion of the Son of God regained as the last Adam through his incarnation by carrying death and victorious bodily resurrection. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He got up on the third day with all power in his hand. He was seen by more than 500 over a span of 40 days after his resurrection. And then he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ is superior to Adam. Jesus Christ is superior to, to, to every, every person, every thing on this earth. Jesus Christ is superior in the future, the Messianic kingdom, the Lord Jesus as Messiah will reign over a perfect earth and a glorified humanity, heir of all things. And this makes him better than the prophets. Next, the Hebrew writer makes it even bolder and, uh, and, and an accurate saying by whom also he made the world. Who made the world? The Son of God is here seen as the mediate, as the mediate agency in creation, but is not there represented, but not but is not here represented as a mere instrument, a passive tool, but as a cooperating agent. He is the one that God, when God opened his mouth and said, Let there be, it was Jesus who ushered forth from the bosom of the Father by the power of the Spirit of God, and it was he who then went forth and brought forth all creation. And it is the Holy Spirit that oversaw it all. And it was him that put the finishing touches on. Jesus Christ is the agent of all creation. In Colossians 1.16, Paul says that all things were created in him and through him. The expression in him enlarges and makes complete the expression through him. The expression in him enlarges and makes complete the expression through him. Through him speaks of the Son as the mediate instrument. God, you got to understand this. In him indicates that all the laws and purposes which guide the creation and government of the universe reside 
my word as their meeting point. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the divine agent, not only in the original creation of all the physical universe, but also in the operation and management of that universe and all its creatures all down the ages of time. And that makes Jesus better than the prophets. Any prophets, you name it, whether it's prophets here in America, whether it's prophets over in the Middle East, whether it's prophets on every, whatever separate continent, it does not matter. This hemisphere, the northern hemisphere, whatever hemisphere, Jesus Christ is better. There is no man better. There is no woman better. I will not bow down to a man. I bow down to Jesus. He is Lord. He is God. He is the Savior of the world. And it's my heart's desire that those who would hear and believe and give their life to Christ will be saved. That is my desire. It is the same desire that God spoke in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God does not want any human being to lose their life without first entering into a relationship with him. And that relationship can only come through Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this second thing, the outstanding, uh, the outshining of God's glory. That's that second thing I want to talk about, the outshining of God's glory. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory uh, and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, here's my first thing here on this point. Jesus is superior to the prophet because he is the brightness of God's glory. In Matthew 17 and 2, Jesus faces Jesus' face and clothing on Mount Sinai. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, shone like the sun and became white as the light. This brightness speaks of speaks to radiance. This radiance is used of light beaming from a luminous body. This brightness gives us a written image of Christ as the Father of light. Glory to God. Hence, the Son of God is, in this essential majesty, the expression and sole expression of divine light, not as his incarnation. Not as in his incarnation, his reflection. Listen, when we consider the word glory, we understand this is an expression referring to the divine attributes collectively uh, of God. His attributes are as follows. Let me just go through them briefly here. I have about 12 or 13 of them. And we can, it's impossible for us to name all the attributes of God because he is eternal and we are, he is infinite and we are finite. He is eternal, and we are for a short time. Listen, number one, the first attribute of God is his eternity. Just Jesus exists endlessly. His existence extends endlessly backwards and forward from our viewpoint of time without any interruption or limitation caused by succession of events. God, Psalm 92 says that God is from everlasting to everlasting. Genesis 21:33 refers to God as El Olam, the everlasting God comes from an original form that means the God of eternity. What is said of the Father is also true of the Son, as they are of one essence. They are not three to seven, two separate people. They are one and the same. Here's the second characteristic or, or, or if you will, quality of God, and that is his freedom. God, freedom in God means that he is independent of his creation and his creatures. Isaiah 40, 
13 and 4 has the rhetorical question, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or be his counselor has taught him? With, with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Because his is free. Because his is, because Jesus, because God is free means he is not obligated to us in any way unless he chooses to initiate an obligation. God doesn't care if you get angry with him and walk away. He doesn't live and move and breathe because of you. He is God. He is eternally self-existent I am. He does not need you or me. He does not care whether you like him or not. He does not care whether you reject him or not, whether you deny him or not. He is God. He cannot deny himself. He is who he is. Hallelujah. God is holiness. God and Christ are not only separate from all that is unclean and evil, but also that he is positively pure and thus distinct from all others. That's who God is. That's who Jesus Christ is. God is immutable. Jesus Christ is immutable. And that simply means that he is unchangeable, and thus he is unchanging. You cannot change God. I cannot change God. He will do what he wants to do. He is who he is. That's all that is to it. God is infinity. There is no bounds. There are no bounds or limits to God. There are limits to human beings. You get tired real early. You can do this. You can do that with your muscles. Become fatigued and you need to rest. You need because you're trapped in this body. You have limitations. God is infinity. He has no bounds. He has no limits. He is in no way limited by the universe or by time, space, boundary. King Solomon is dedicating the temple said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. Listen, love. God is love. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, his only begotten son, paid the penalty for our sins in order that we might have a personal relationship with God through Christ. God is omnipotent. This speaks of God as being all-powerful and able to do any, anything consistent with his own nature. Omnipresent. God is everywhere present with his whole being at all times. He's not a piece over here. His arm is not over here. And his, and his right arm is not over here. His left arm over there. Or his right, right eye is there, is there. No, he is every place at the same time. His person, his whole person, he is every place. Glory to God. God. God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything. Things actual and possible, effortlessly and equally well. Nothing is by God. God is righteousness, and righteousness has to do with the law, with morality and justice. God is absolute righteousness. God is the God of ethics. He does not, well, he does not constitute, well, I'm going to cut a corner here. I'm going to cut a corner here. I know what the law says, but I'm going to do this. Okay. No, God is straight up by the book, letter by letter. God will not change. He is absolute righteousness. There is no unrighteousness in God. There is no wrong in God. There is no ill in God. He is pure. He is righteous. He is just. He is God. Hallelujah. God protects his simplicity. God is not a composite or a compound being. He's not made up of different pieces and parts. He is simply God. 
unto you and your peace, which surpasses all understanding, will keep my heart and mind by Christ Jesus. Listen, everything is held together by Jesus. Everything is coherent by Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ holds all things together and in their proper relationship to each other by his own power. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. The oceans are held in their bed. The rivers run down into the sea. The heavenly bodies are held in their order. This act of maintaining this coherence implies the guidance and proportion of all the parts of the universe to a definite end. Jesus does it all by the word of his power. You got up this morning by the word of his power. You live it today by the word of his power. You have a job by the word of his power. You have money got by the word of his power. Jesus doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be empty-handed. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to possess much, because, but he doesn't want you to make what you possess your God. But he wants you to recognize that the things that you possess come from him, not by, and that the things that you possess does not make you. It is God who makes you. There's a song by Mary Mary. They Mary Mary talking about that. But when she gets home, she falls on the knees. She says it's the God in her. She writes her check for the whole lot of zero. You 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 call it she calls she calls it a blessing, but you call it living. See, you have to understand the difference. A blessing is that you call what you call living is really a blessing because God keeping her, she recognized that it's God that's giving and not her. By her, by God's grace. Is she able to write them their check with those whole lot of zero? It is by God's grace that woman comes home, that man comes home, and they fall down on their knees and they thank God for waking them up, for giving them a job, for giving them finances, for allowing them to be able to give back to Him. That's living. That's a blessing. Uh, we see the superiority. Of Jesus in another manner, when he had by himself purged our sins. I've always wanted to preach on the book of Hebrews. Now I want to, now we're doing this series on the book of Hebrews. No one else could save humanity from sin. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. It was his blood that was shed. But more important, Jesus faltered in any, but, but had Jesus faltered in any way in keeping the whole law? He would not have been able to purge or purify us of our sins. His death on the cross made it possible for man to be forgiven of his sin. Whosoever will let him come in, that's not matter what you've done in the past. God is not interested in that. God is interested in you. Do you think that you are limited? But God has a purpose for you that far exceeds your capacity to understand. You can't even conceive it. But God knows it, God sees it, and he wants to bring it to pass in your life. But you've got to come to him. Whosoever will, let him come. Let me give you this final observation, and I'm through. The final observation of Jesus' superiority is seen where he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on top. God, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who is the majesty on high? The majesty on high is God the Father. The right hand is the place of honor. Jesus is equal to God the Father, so he is figuratively close to him, sharing fully his power. Uh, Lord have mercy. See, 
Revelation 3, 21 says, to him who overcomes, Jesus is speaking to him. And this Jesus is speaking to the believers. He's speaking to you and I. He's speaking to anyone who will come to him. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit at my right hand, sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We are overcomers when we stand on the word of God, when we stay with the word of God, when we refuse to compromise on the word of God, when we promise ourselves, when we promise ourselves, God, for you I live and for you I'll die. I will not. Peter, Peter didn't understand what that meant. He said, God, Jesus, if you die, I'm going to die with you. Jesus said, tonight you will deny me three times before the cock crows once. Not, a, not, not only did Peter deny him three times, but then Peter turned around and wept, wept bitterly because he realized that Jesus Christ was God and he knew his very heart. But he did not understand that, that when Jesus came back and asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And he said, let me tell you something, Peter. Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as weak. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And so that when you are, and when you have overcome, that you may strengthen the brethren. See, God has a purpose for us. We don't understand it. We make mistakes, but God is a forgiving God. God is a loving God. God knows that we're going to go. We, we have weaknesses. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. Men could not fulfill the law on their own. And the book of Hebrews, the the book of Hebrews is so chock full of Old Testament scripture. Why? Because he is writing to the Jewish men and women who were Christian during that time. They were being, they were struggling. They were being attacked, and they were some of them literally thinking about. Say, the heck, the heck with Jesus Christ. The heck with this Christianity thing. I'm going to go back to being a, a to, the, to the Torah, to the to the Jewish law, and let's do that. But the Hebrew writer had to say, no, that's old. The new has come. Jesus Christ is far superior to the old. It was he that the whole the Old Testament was speaking about. So, my brothers, we're building on the truth, the word of God, building on truth, the word of God. And it is designed to showcase the superiority of Jesus Christ and his ability to give life to all who would receive him as their Savior and Lord. I mean, you give everybody else control of your life, and look what it's got you. Why not give your life to Jesus Christ, the one who created you, the one who knows the thoughts that he takes towards you, the one who wants to give you peace and not evil, wants to give you a future full of hope. Why not trust Jesus? Why not trust him today? Why keep on doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result? Why do you keep trying to say this thing is new and that thing is new? There is new, nothing new other than thought. Whatever it is you're trying to do is the, the outcome may be a little bit different, but it's going to be the same. Nonetheless, the only way that things will be different is if you give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus has fulfilled the law and ushered in the new covenant. This new covenant is a, new, is a covenant of grace. Neither the Jews nor anyone else could keep the whole law of Moses. No one could. And no one can today. I don't care who you are. You cannot do it. 
So today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, he's ready right now to receive you into his kingdom. And he's ready 